realized as we were approaching this unicorn status that that could not be our goal to become a unicorn. That seems silly. So uh, seeing uh, that on the horizon, I said, guys, I don't want to be a unicorn. How boring is that? I want to be a dragon and dragons eat unicorns. I wanted to build something big and to build something big, I need a lot of help and to get the right help and you know, the right execution, all of the success from there on out was going to be from people. I absolutely have used people's complaints to drive opening doors that have one accounts, million dollar accounts with complaints. So no, I do love it. And readers or listeners, if you know of a website that's broken, please email me. That's an interesting question. I haven't gotten that question before. I would, I would tell you, I, I, I just, I so focus on just my personal, my family, and my teams, my customers, just literally happiness. <laughs> I, like, I, I don't know much about what ego might mean anymore because I'm just, I'm just happy. Welcome to ProCo360, named Best Colorado Business Podcast. I'm Dave Tabor, hosting ProCo360 because I love Colorado and I love getting to know Colorado's entrepreneurs and leaders and sharing my conversations with them with you. My guests have built very successful businesses while being collaborative and including team members who enjoy all that Colorado has to offer. Hey, listeners, ever had a situation where you abandon a shopping cart because the purchase path just wasn't working smoothly? Most of the time, companies really don't know what happened, or if they do, their teams argue about what's causing it. That's just one example of a problem that costs companies millions of dollars and one solved by Quantum Metric, a Colorado company founded and run by today's guest, CEO Mario Chabara. With big-name customers like Lululemon, IHG, and Neiman Marcus, earlier this year, Quantum Metric raised $200 million with a unicorn valuation of over $1 billion. But it wasn't easy. Quantum Metric's first challenge was explaining what it did to customers who didn't even know they needed it. So lots to talk about. Mario, glad we could connect. Dave, uh, absolute pleasure to, to be here. And I love the way you open it. You love Colorado. Guess what? I love Colorado too. And I hope every one of the listeners, uh, even if they don't live in Colorado, um, also enjoy everything Colorado has to offer. So it's a, it's a pleasure to join. Thank you for making time. Great. Well, we know listeners who aren't already want, aren't already living here want to be. So let's just, that's sort of a given, right? So, uh, true, so true, true. give us a quick overview of quantum metric. Yeah. You know, I loved, I loved your introduction in terms of like, these are some obvious pain points, but I'll tell you whether it's uh, banking, aviation, healthcare, uh, obviously you mentioned uh, e-commerce, you know, we can talk uh, a bunch of other verticals as well. Doing digital, getting digital correct is hard. And you get folks like Jeff Bezos, and it's a shame because Jeff is obviously very smart and talented and built this empire around digital. Well, he's coming on next. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I, I'm, I'm just warming him up. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, he, he goes and tells the world, he's either one of two things. Either he's so brilliant, he doesn't understand how brilliant he is, or he's, he's uh, simply uh, doesn't want to tell you the secrets. But he says, our secret to success is about customer obsession. And, and then he talks about having an empty chair in the room uh, to, to represent the customer. I, listen, I've got an em- a lot of empty chairs around my rooms, houses, office. I, I don't know what the hell uh, empty chairs mean, but um, 
But I will tell you, if, 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 if maybe he's just tricking us all, not telling us how to make that happen, um, then I think the answer is quantum. Uh, how do you get customer centricity to be adopted across your entire organization? This is the key to success. This is why companies for literally millennia have been successful. They do the most obvious and simplest of things. They listen to their customer. The problem is uh, when we did it in stores, it was obvious is right there in front of yeah. you. On digital, it's not in front of you. So what we found was taking analytics, and no one wants more analytics, by the way, but we can take analytics. And yes, it's aggregation is magical, but in the aggregation, you might lose something. So we take the aggregation and we pair that with the individual, the individual experiences we capture. Quantum metric captures every single user, ex their experiences, their rotations of devices, the, the screens that they saw. Um, everything is, 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 is captured and then aggregated. And we look for behaviors that say, I'm not having a good experience, such as, yeah, the button didn't work like you were mentioning earlier, or the site was slow, or um, the images didn't load, and all these different things that make up the experience. It could be the journey and path. It's, there's so much that goes into it. And think about that. All of these teams work together to make a great experience. All of them need to be listening to customers in real time. Hmm. I'll give you one more example. I went to a bank and I said, how do you listen to customers? They said, oh, we have surveys. Awesome. What do you do with them? Well, we listen, uh, we, we, we take those surveys and, and, and once a month, we, we, we listen to them. We get together and, and talk about what the surveys say. Awesome. It obviously works. Your bank's very successful. It's a top bank, top world bank. Um, what about the bank that does that on a weekly basis? What about the bank that does it on a daily basis? What about a bank that does it every hour, every minute? What if a bank does it in real time? And not just these 17 people in that room, because the room couldn't be big enough yeah. to do the real effect that you need. What if everyone in the company listens to the customer in real time? Think about that bank. Of That's course, the bank that I want to bank with. Yeah. And of course, it's not possible without being uh, driven by some sort of artificial intelligence data kind of thing. And you know, the idea of, we all talk about, you know, seeing things from the customer's point of view. Uh, I don't know how you do that with an empty chair exactly, but, you know, seeing things with, from, a, from a customer's point of view. And what it sounds like you're doing is um, using data to do it in a way that isn't otherwise humanly possible. I, I, that's, that's, absol that's absolutely it. I mean, you can't read enough surveys. And, and I don't know about, you know, David, I'm not under, undermining the value of service. I actually still love them, but I don't ever fill them out. You'll never hear from me on a survey, right? And so, um, yeah, if I, can, if I can use technology to understand at an aggregate level, everyone without even filling mm -hmm. out a survey yeah. um, and understand how can I improve their experiences without having to get them to tell yep. me, because honestly, I don't want to tell anyone. I just want it better. So, if a so really, if a business really cared about their customers, they would figure it out without asking them. That's what you're saying. That's that, that is absolutely what quantum metric is. Wow. That's cool. You use the phrase on your website quite a bit, continuous product, product design. So, you know, that to me is you're doing something about what you're hearing, what you've not even hearing, what you're finding from all the data. So are your customers using your data to continually fix issues and, or are you doing that for them as you help them uncover it? Yeah, so we're a continuous product design uh, platform. Continuous product design itself is a methodology. It's a, it's a it's something I would love to say I'm so smart, Dave. I came here and I invented continuous product design. I, I'm so smart, but it's not. It's it's something that we observed. We saw it at Netflix, at Airbnb, at Google, at Amazon. Uh, you know, for example, Eric Schmidt in 2014, the former CEO of Google, shared with the world in a, in a presentation. This is what makes Google work, and he talked about uh, you know most companies optimize for minimizing risk. Uh, and so uh, uh, they, they have all the people at the top making decisions and data only gets to them. And, and they had a picture of a fat cat very specifically in that, in that presentation. He's got the fat cats making decisions. And what Google did instead was they optimized for freedom and speed. 
So they gave and 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 they gave the data. Uh, they democratize it to all the team members. Now every team member at Google has the data to make the right decision. I don't have to have another meeting. I don't have to wait till next Monday to go make the decision. I make it in real time and I move forward. And and that speed element allowed them to become so successful. Mm. That is the words of Eric Schmidt, and I think we all can respect the success of both Google yeah. and Amazon. So we observed it, we looked at it, and we put it down into um, a process methodology. That's continuous product design. What we do is we help them. You know, part of continuous product design is listening to the signals of your customer. And so what we do is we enable that listening part, and we help them make the right decisions. We do not make the changes. We are helping enable yeah. continuous product design. Well, the difference between like, um, let's say Google Search is that its continuous improvement is essentially happening in real time using artificial intelligence, making better and better analysis and then delivering different stuff. But if you're looking at an e-commerce site or you're looking at a banking business, they still have to make, they still have decision points at which they have to make changes, right? Those are really continuous the way they are like in a search engine, right? So who's doing those? Are you doing those or are you at some intervals giving employees of your clients, the information they need to fix or change or whatever. Yeah. So this is the fun part. Uh, you know, it, it, if I look at where we were, you know, we've replaced legacy products that have done parts of what we do. And if you look at who uses those systems, it's like three or four people uh, in the company. And if you go to the same companies now using quantum, it's thousands. And I, wow. I love to make up a number, but it's literally insanely thousand plus people at some of our organizations that we work with. And they're logging in weekly. It's not something like every day, all, all day long, I don't want to stare at this dashboard or look at the data. That won't be productive. It's you know on a weekly basis, they're going in there to help inform decisions that they're making. So really what we're doing, the magic is prioritization. It's, mm. it's, it's honestly, it's a weird thing. I, I use some of these same words in talking to my team about how, what we need to do as a company. Hey, we need to prioritize. Yeah. We need to understand how our customers, like I remember one time I called, it was early days when I was so involved in the company's maybe 10 people big. And I called a customer up and I said, hey, that problem that you had, Nancy, this morning, we fixed it. She says, I never told anyone about the problem. I'm like, it's magic, isn't it? <laughs> right. And, you know, and so like you have to live and drink your own champagne or else this doesn't work. So you have to model what we want to do and understand the pitfalls and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's not something that you want to be in all day long. It's something that you want to use to help inform decisions. And, you know, these types of decisions on a, you know, like what's a priority for us. It's sometimes daily, sometimes mm -hmm. weekly. Um, but we want to also uh, not have to go look and see what's happening. Like we have an alerting using, you know, I, I like more statistical analysis and AI, but maybe all of that's very much in the same genre and, and looking at like, Hey, is there something wrong? Like, you know, if you think about you run a website or a native app, like when do you find out when something's wrong? Hey, you know what? Someone filled out a survey. They're all yelling at us. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so you don't have to wait for that. Like what if we had a way to say, you know what the KPIs that of, let's say e I like e-commerce like revenue. Um, well, those are easy uh, traffic, to measure. Sure. Of, of sure. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, here's, but we use those and we automate and track it. Yeah. yeah and, and because of what you do, it, it seems like you'd also have the easy, well, e yeah, easy ability to say, we fixed something that we think had a, you know, $317,000 impact between now and the end of the year. Yeah, you can do that, exactly, right? Exactly, Dave. I, I, I'm very, I mean, I hope you went through the website because you just came up with that. Like I, was, I have a job opening for you because that is exactly, exactly what we do. It's, it's exactly what we do. And I want to, I hope this is not a blow your mind moment, Dave, but uh, I, I, you know, like maybe one of our, one of our uh, chief digital officer at, at a large U.S. brand said to me, like, Mario, I have to, I have to like triple my business this year. Um, there's only so many bugs I can fix ah. to, to improve my business. 
I need you to help me make good decisions from a product experimentation and so on and so forth. How can you help me there? So I think of the business as twofold. I did start off to fix bugs because that was so obvious to go do. Sure. The second one is how do I improve the product? Nothing is broken. How do I improve it? Uh, and, and so we work with our, our, our companies, our, our clients to help them think about experimentation. Yes, some, some of it's benchmarking compared to their competition and so on and just the industry that they're in. Um, but, but how do we take best practices? How do we experiment? How do we evaluate those experimentations? How do we hold those product managers and experimenters accountable and so on and yeah. so forth? And really, when you do the experiment and you see that you know, everyone has the results because there's lots of software that will do that. But the why behind the change. So you work six months to make a change. It doesn't get better. You're like, oh gosh, we really didn't make a good guess or hypothesis. But then the why you find out, oh, but we forgot to connect right here. Oh, good. Fix it. Oh, wow. It's a uh, big lift. So yeah. it's really understanding the why around all this. Because like I said earlier, in physical, we saw it on digital. Yep. It's kind of a, a little bit like a black box. Like we don't know. So that, that raises a question that I'm going to ask. I was curious about going into this conversation. First, I'm going to remind listeners, this is Proco 360, named Best Denver Podcast, three years running, and now Best Colorado Business Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Mario Chabrara, CEO and founder of Quantum Metric. And thanks to our sponsors, First Bank, Kinsley Meetings, Via Technologies, and Digital Frontier Printing. All my sponsors support Colorado business and entrepreneurs and they support this show. Also, thanks to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and for Proco 360. Okay, here's a question I was curious about going into it because when you and I first had a brief conversation, I think you had mentioned to me that it was really hard starting out to explain what you do to customers who have never, first of all, didn't know they had this problem that was even fixable or, you know. So tell us about the process of figuring out how to explain this. Now, I will, I will tell you, Dave, it, it's a never ending journey. So, I, you know, and every time I'm at the end of it, I'm like, I'm good about the end of it. And I'm like, I'm no, so far away from the end of it. So, and I'll tell you the whys behind that if you want, but, but I, as far as I, it started off early on, it, I think the fun way to do, you, you know, you're a three, five, 10 person company. How do you do this? You're not going to go with contract with someone and start to strategize yeah. and, you know, get consultants on this. So it's, it starts off with me going to conferences. It was, and if you remember back in the old days when conferences were a thing, uh, it was just the, uh, you know, 20, 2020, by the way. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, early 2020, at least. So, um, but yeah, so I went to conferences and I would, uh, someone would meet me and I'd say, you know, we chat and they're like, hey, by the way, Mario, what do you do? <laughs> and then like, that's like, the, that's like the, the moment of truth, right? And, and, and I would pitch, oh, hey, use Google Analytics and, and well, we, we do that, but better. You know, it wasn't a pitch, but it was something in that genre, right? And, 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 and I just continued to develop it until the point where uh, I could see people's reaction. And it was, and I've, what I found, Dave, at the heart of it was this. Everything in life is about emotions. It's, it's not the, hey, so yeah, if you take that number, you divide it by seven, look at the magic of our product, right? Yeah, like this yeah, is not about yeah. the technical parts of what this does. It's, I would, I would talk just like you said earlier, like, do you ever go to a website, have a bad experience? And everyone will say yes to that, of course. You know, when you're, when you're trying to buy something or book a flight or whatever it might be, what did you do? And that question, Dave, it was really key. But I think the, the promotion of that question, that it was, it provoked someone to think about, oh, shoot, or maybe a different explicative, but I'm going to stick PG uh, yeah. here. Oh, shoot. That makes me so angry. Yeah. Can you fix that? I am so angry. And I'll tell you, Dave, and this is how you know you win on, on that pitch. Two years after I have introduced that comment in, in passing to someone I had met, I've received text messages. Hey, Mario, this site's really pissing me off. Huh. I, I'm like, oh, God, that that was a really good Do message. Do you feed that, that to your salespeople? 
I, I used to. So, so, so I wish that would, I wish Dave, I wish Dave. Oh, yes. By the way. Yes. No, we have a whole channel called um, like, uh, you know, website problems or something like that. And yes, I absolutely have used people's complaints to drive opening doors that have one accounts, million yeah. dollar accounts with complaints. So no, I do love yeah. it. And readers or listeners, if you know of a website that's broken, please email me. I would love it. Uh, maybe I'll do like a $5 incentive and I'll get a lot more, yeah. but yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, but, th- but it's still a journey because what I found was that that's only covers the bug fixing part. The part I said, that's only half the business. Yeah. So I needed to go further and we developed much bigger. And that's how we got to continuous product design. And, and even that, uh, communicating what can, you know, executives and C-levels, they get it. They understand what we're talking about. When we, they want to work across their team and yeah. enable their entire organization to listen. But you know what? Director levels and, and VPs, they might only care about the functional group that they're in. So how do we get them to yeah. really adopt and get excited? So about talk it? about this wonderful phrase you use, which is becoming the arbiter of truth. How does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're in a meeting and uh, I've got my analytics and you've got yours. Who's right? Right. And, 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 and it's who, who are you, who's in the meeting? Trying. So you're saying who's so, in the yeah, meeting? You got so the marketing you got person, product, sales you've got your product team, you've got your marketing team, yeah. you've got your engineering team, you have your VOCs with all these surveys team. Like you've got all these people and they all have data and they're all pointing in different directions. If you ask a very simple question, what is the number one thing that we can do that would improve our customers' business? And they all have data pointing in different directions. How frustrating is that as a leader to try to figure out where do I take these limited resources, these people, right? All of us uh, and, and direct them to make the biggest impact for our business. So, so that's the problem statement. And then the answer is what if we, instead of having these disjoint siloed data sets, we took the, the one unifying data set, the customer, their experiences, where their friction points are, where their struggles are. And we use that to figure out this is where we need to focus the team's resources. So you, so I let- talked earlier about prioritization. Yeah. So how about a specific yeah, example? A priority, priority. I used a really yeah. simplistic one with, you know, I, I'd abandoned a shopping cart, but you know, what's a really specific example of, you know, you had four different teams pointing in four different directions and you were the arbiter. So, so, uh, you know, um, like I love my CMO, she's amazing. And her entire team is just incredible, but I like to make jokes about all of my teams. Uh, you know, different teams get different blunts, uh, you know, different uh, brunts of, of those jokes, but but one of the things I like to joke about marketing is, you know, whenever the site improves, uh, a marketing came just a marketing campaign just ran, and that is why the site's getting more successful. Huh. It's a sort of a joke, but it all jokes is a little bit of truth. But it's just the confusion of the price. It, 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 it's why I find that funny is because you have seventeen different marketing campaigns happening. You have people changing the product and the sites. You have people experimenting. How does anyone know any attribution of success? Yeah. It's really yeah. really difficult to know these things. And so, um, and so so what you, the, the example. You know, I'll take a, I'll take um, a bug fixing problem and a product improvement. So you have a new website, for example. Uh, I want to create a new website for our brand, and we're going to go work on that. It's going to take one year. Like it just happens all the time. And maybe it's replatforming, maybe it's rebranding. It doesn't really matter. Whatever those two. So we're we're going to take a lot of the chunk of the company's resources and go there. Okay, awesome. And we don't have any bugs. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we're not going to spend any time fixing any bugs. So how do I figure out whenever to pull the engineers off and and take high party things? So I'll give you an example. Um, one of our first customers, they had a problem. And this is, I think it's very relatable because the problem was they have a testing team and the testing team would go and test PayPal and PayPal worked every time it worked. But here's the thing. When you were testing with PayPal and seeing if the site works, you had an account, you purchased something and you hit PayPal checkout. Well, it turns out if you opened an account uh, and the same session that you were paying, and this is an account for the actual the 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 retailer, not the not a PayPal account. But if you opened a, uh, an account with the retailer in the same time that you were going to pay, it broke every time. Wow! 
It was worth $5 million. No one at that company knew. And if you imagine a scenario where you call the call center, I'm trying to pay. Actually, it was really bad too. So you try to pay and then you're like, I give up on PayPal. You try to enter your credit card. The credit card failed too. So it completely broke the entire payment system when this happened. And so you can imagine this call looks like this. Hi, I'm trying to buy XYZ and uh, it's not working. How are you doing? I'm trying to buy PayPal. Oh, let me try it on my side. And then here's the most famous words of a developer that I love so much. And by the way, Dave, I'm a developer. I've said these words, oh. I'm sure. It works for me. Oh, yeah. It works on my computer. It works on my Must phone. be your computer. So yeah. So Is it plugged in? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, and, and so to eliminate that, what if I could capture every single experience yeah. and I could show the developer here the exact steps, the device, the browser, whatever it is. Wow. Um, they went from here to here to here. They went by PayPal. They open a new account with your retail. Like, wow, I that's like an instant solution, it. instant fix. And there's no back yeah. and forth. Absolutely. All right, I want to shift gears a little bit. Well, what, before I do that, I, I'm curious too, because there's there are people listening that are starting tech companies. And my question is when you know, you're creating some kind of a new technology, and of course, most entrepreneurs think theirs is going to change the world the way yours is, uh, you know, and you're struggling to figure out how to explain it. Is it important to be able to sp- explain it to anyone, to your parents, to your kids? Or if you're really in a technical world, is it okay to just be able to explain it straight to the people who get it? Yeah, and I, I love, I love, I love, love, love the question, Dave. If I had an exact answer to this, I would just tell you. But I would tell you, I would tell you this. The reason I love the one that we've been talking about, like, if we go to a website problem, I love that because one day I heard, overheard my daughter, one of her friends said, so what does your dad do? And she said exactly that. Do you ever go to a website and have a problem? Yeah, he fixes that, right? And so that's when, when my 13-year-old daughter can share that with her friends, yeah. I know I have a very simple message that anyone can consume, right? And it's not undermining her 13. I'm just saying her, her friends don't want to talk about technology and alignment across teams and, and silos. So I, I, I love the emotional, uh, simple message. I think you have to have that for your company. I do think you have to have it. But I think there's a more sophisticated conversation that we're having here, for example, um, that, that also is extremely appealing. So yeah, see, I think, you, I think, I think you, there's a room for yeah. both. So uh, I, I think that entrepreneurs who don't figure out how to say it to anyone are missing somehow, they're missing the opportunity for a visceral reaction. Uh, from, the emotional, right? Yes, visceral, it's just emotional what you were reaction. saying. And yep. I, I think they're they're taking it, what they think is an easy way out, but really um, undermining their own ability to sell with emotion this what they're what they've created. That's that's my and that emotion is what is what you remember. That's what I was trying to connect yeah. it to your thing. It's it's you remember the emotion, and that's why I think it's so powerful. Yeah, yeah. So switching gears, although maybe not entirely. You've gotten some amazing customers: Lululemon, Alaska Air, Western Union, many others. What's the story of the first really big one that you got? It's 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 the funniest. So and and, and big. I'm going to call it a Fortune 300. Sure, okay, a recognizable big, brand. We can describe big yeah, by uh, by a course. lot of different uh, you know metrics. So guess what, Dave? First customer. First customer is a Fortune 300 customer, and the the best thing I can tell you is I, I'm the youngest of six kids. Um, my father's an immigrant from Italy, um, and my my uh, my closest uh, sibling is my brother, Chris. And so Chris at this time uh, was running, a, it w- at that time was a $500 million company that he had co-founded. Uh, they had recently just raised $120 million mm-hmm. in funding. And, um, and we're so, so, so competitive, Dave. Like I, I love him. <laughs> I remember the day, I, I think he might've stolen my girlfriend when I was 16. It was a little sad, but, um, but I don't hold it against him, but I love him, but we're competitive. Well, he was older. Uh, I, I think that was, 
Yeah, but that was the competitiveness where he, he just wanted to steal my <laughs> oh. girlfriend. But anyways, um, yeah, but but, uh, you know, like we're super competitive, but it's it's a loving competition. And here's I'm going to share the, with the world the secret of that competition. It is absolutely loving. And I'll tell you how I can prove it to you. That first customer was because of him. So, by the way, we're competing to be six, more successful than each other, which is super fun. But he helped me. And this is why, you know, it's, it's it, yes, it's, it's competitive, but it's a loving comp- competition. Um, he helps me. I help him. And he uh, introduced me to one of his team members. They deployed. So we, we have no customers yet. I just, hey, can, can you kind of test this out and see what people think and see what, like, what happens when we deploy it? And I learned a lot of stuff, by the way, just deploying it with him. And, um, and so uh, one of his team members said, this is so cool. I saw something like this before. Do you mind if I share this with uh, my old company, a friend of mine at the old company? He did. That person called me, said, this makes, and then the, their legacy provider at the time, this makes them look like a toy. And I'm like, wow, we're not even done yet. Wow. We're like, we're like maybe 60% through our product creation. He said, can I buy this right now? I'm like, I don't even know what to charge you. I don't have a contract. I have nothing. <laughs> that was the wrong answer. The right answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. But Dave, that was what was going through my mind, yeah. by the way. I didn't say, I didn't say oh, all okay. those things. Um, no, the answer of course was yes. And, and they became a customer December 23rd, 2016. Wow. Um, and that was, that was uh, an amazing, amazing uh, mm. journey. Well, now you, this is the fourth the Christmas present, by oh, the way. Sure it was. December 23rd. Oh, amazing. <laughs> um, and you can't, can Early. you mention the company? You haven't. Uh, why not? Right. I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's open knowledge, I think on other sites. So yeah, it was, um, it was advanced auto parts. Wow. That's cool. And they're still a customer today. Mm. And, and the usage and expansion uh, there has just grown over our, mm. our five-year relationship. And I'm so ingratiated to the leader who gave me that time to uh, uh, try this out and said, this is awesome. He's been critical, um, you know, the whole company, but this one leader was, was pivotal in, in being able to give me feedback on how to develop that product. That's it was really, just really partnership. It was fun for him because he got to get whatever he wanted. Yeah. It was fun for me because I could give him whatever he wanted. Yeah. And so it was an amazing, those early relationships, those only early customers are so important for that product uh, you know, journey. Yeah. And, and to your point, um, there are times when if you're the new, if you're the new customer, you do get to call the shots on what you'd like to see come and, and so there are advantages and there are risks, but um, now this is the fourth company you've created. You told me that the other companies you worked on were all sort of product-driven, product-centric companies, and you want this to be a culture company. So just define that. Yeah. Well, those other companies were one to three people. Oh. And I think at one to three people, like literally, no, but no, it's a very important thing just to, to mention because when you're running a one to three Prierson company and you're going to talk to me about culture, I mean, you know, like I'm going to laugh at you, right? Like it, it, there is no culture at a one to three person company if that's all you intend to build, yeah. right? There's just not, it's just three great people working in a room, perhaps us, uh, you know, like working, working throughout the, you know, the night. Um, and so when people used to talk to me about culture and I ran those one to three person companies, I'd like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't think it's that important because it's not that important. Right. And it wasn't until I got to about 15 people big when I realized everything that I was going to do from there on out was going to be about people and to make people successful together for us to want to be here, for us to be, have a shared mission and vision and journey. It was going to be about culture. And I will tell you, I am the most fortunate, one of the most fortunate human beings in the world to have, I think, the person that created the best culture in our, in our lifetimes mm as a mentor, advisor, investor, now board member and friend, John Chambers, the former CEO and executive chairman of Cisco, yeah. now 
runs a, a portfolio company and he created an 80,000 person culture. I love getting on calls with new hires. Mario, how do you scale this culture? Yeah. I mean, it's growing so yeah. fast. I'm like, I'm like, we're at 330 people. <laughs> but John, still, John had yeah. 80,000 and he scaled that culture. And that's, that's pretty interesting. It's funny that you mentioned 15 people. When I had my business, I found sometime around between 10 and 15 employees culture become begins to matter because people have start having to find jobs. You start having hierarchy. And if you don't start defining those things, you know, things get crazy, even as a tiny, small company. And what, and what it is, Dave, in that, in that context is I at, at 300 and some people, and it, it hurts my soul, but this is a reality and there's nothing. I cannot break physics to make this less true. I cannot have a personal daily relationship with every one of my employees. At 5, 10, 15, I can. Yeah, yeah. And what happens, what has to happen then is I need to make sure the leadership on our team is affecting the culture that I would have had in those personal relationships with each of those team members to make sure that we're, it's, it's a very cohesive feeling uh, amongst the team at yeah. Quantum. So now at 330, I mean, there's the famous management guru, Peter Drucker is quoted as saying, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Now, when you're raising money, when you're getting funding, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in funding, they're not asking you about your culture. They're asking you about your strategy. So how do you jive those things? I, 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 I agree, but I, what I can tell you for a fact, everyone, in fact, there was a leak from Salesforce Ventures um, where they gave kind of a breakdown of a bunch of companies and what they had at the top, first line item was Glassdoor rating of each of the companies. Yeah. 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 That's, that's right. That for me, that's a rating of culture. Sure it is. Hey, I almost, and you, and you can change them and you can, you can cheat them and yeah. you can have bad marks and good marks for the wrong reasons. But, um, but, but, but think about that. An investment was the first thing they thought about. The first metric they, they mm -hmm. were thinking about was in my, and I think it's a, it's a proxy for culture, yep. but they were thinking about culture. Well, and I'm going to come to that in a second. I almost forgot to, to remind listeners uh, again, first of all, this is Mario Chabara, uh, CEO and founder of Quantum Metric. Uh, go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. And don't forget, please rate Proco360 in your app when you finish this episode. You know, as you're talking about culture, I think my take is, as we look at stories in, in the Wall Street Journal or anywhere else, everybody knows that tech talent is becoming tougher and tougher and more competitive, more competitive. And I could see where, you know, an investor might also care about your culture strategy. Well, man, putting them together, culture strategy, right? Because if you can't get the talent, you cannot scale. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you, you, it, because what, what I came so you talked about being a product company to culture company. Um, I had created my first three companies product. I did it again here at Quantum Evidence by getting a Fortune 300 right, you know, before yeah. we even had a team. Um, that's, that's exciting. But I, and I love to create product. But what I came to realize, I wanted to build something big. And to build something big, I need a lot of help. And to get the right help, and, you know, the right execution, all of the success from there on out was going to be from people. Yeah, yeah. Getting world-class talent and then building a culture that we're all sharing a vision. And we're all here for the same purpose. Yeah. Now we're, we're pushing up against time. I've got a couple of quick questions too, as we wrap up. First of all, I, I, you know, Proco 360 focused on Colorado entrepreneurs, Colorado business. So why did you start your company in Colorado tech company could have been anywhere, could have been on the West coast. Talk about that. <laughs> you know, it's an easy answer. I live here. Right. So, um, so, so, but, 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 but maybe a little bit elongated. So I moved from the Bay area in 2003 with my wife at the time. And, um, 
It's the funniest of things. I, I thought I was going to not ever do entrepreneurship. I, you, you could tell at, at, at age five, I was an entrepreneur and it was just in my DNA. But I just thought maybe that's not the right thing for me because I don't want to have my work be the center of my life. I want my family to be. I have three beautiful children, 10, 11, and 13. And, um, and so I thought maybe it's the wrong sacrifice for what I really want, which is my family first. And, and so, but then I had an idea and I turned to, to Jamie and I said, you know, I have this really cool idea. It's going to hurt on us. I don't want to quit my job yet. I don't, it's not, I'm slightly risk adverse, but an entrepreneur, I would say not, you know, like definitely in the early days. And, um, and I said, uh, it's going to cost us time. Like I'm going to work on it on my nights and weekends. Are you okay with it? She said, how long? Huh. I said a year. 11 months later, I sold the company. Mm, um, it was yeah, very fortunate, a yeah. great outcome. But so like I moved to Colorado and started a startup, which is funny going from the Bay Area to here. Now I had my success. I came up with two more startups. I live here. The fourth one, why anywhere else uh, than my home? But um, very specifically, investors said, Mario, it's, you know, what, what, you, know it's, you live in Colorado, the, the tech, the talent's not there. And so I'm like, the talent is everywhere. Shake the trees of wherever you live. Some great talented people for developers, business, marketing, they are there. And what happens is when you don't have a tech mega, for example, in Colorado Springs, these people work remotely. They were working remotely before the pandemic. Yeah. But if you shook the trees, they'd fall out and you'd find them. So uh, same thing with marketing and business strategy. They are everywhere. These incredibly yeah. world-class talents are everywhere. Um, you just have to shake the trees. And as it turns out, you don't even have to shake them anymore because the world is our oyster. You can have, yeah. and our team has always been remote uh, since the beginning. So yes, we're founded in Colorado. Yes, we have about 70 of our 330 are in Colorado. Um, and I have, I'd say not the word preference, but it's fun to hire someone from oh, Colorado. Yeah. Um, but it's not mm -hmm. necessary. If I, I find the right talent, not the right geographical location. Yeah. I'm amazed. I speak with a lot of, of tech leaders now who are hiring tens and hundreds of, of tech employees. And they're telling me they're finding them just what you've said. Now, uh, last, last thing, I mean, quantum metric is a unicorn now, meaning it's valued at over a billion dollars uh, from your last round of funding. So what does that mean to you? What does that mean to your employees? I mean, does it feel comfortable, un uncomfortable, awkward? What? So, no, we have, we have, um, we, we, you know, I realized as we were approaching this unicorn status that that could not be our goal to become a unicorn. That seems silly. So now seeing uh, that on the horizon, I said, guys, I don't want to be a unicorn. How boring is that? <laughs> I want to be a dragon and dragons eat unicorns. And I don't say it, but I'll say it for breakfast, right? Maybe for, then they might actually eat them for breakfast, you know? So, so, um, so we are on a, 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 a mission to become a dragon, but, but I want to be very specific about that. It is not about money. It is not about the, the value objective. We have six company objectives very specifically. The first one, and you can probably take it off the, off my tongue. Cause you're thinking about what I'm thinking about, which is happy people, healthy culture. That is our number one objective. The fifth one is about, you know, continue to drive the, the, the revenue of the company. The second one is, is getting, um, is, is, is delivering for our customers. They've given us their trust. They've given us their money. I better do right by them. Yeah. The third one is out innovating the market and product. The fourth one is about uh, our customers uh, telling the customer stories of their success with continuous product design and, and continuing to, to win. And then fifth, is about revenue and the sixth is preparing for an IPO. So uh, the financial aspects of our company are last. 
yeah. getting the people part right first, that's how we will succeed. Right. So that is my goal. My goal is to make sure that we have just a really great, happy culture. All right. So, so then this is my last question, which is, you know, and I knew when I was building my business and it got to the millions, not the billions, like I really had trouble uh, with my own ego. And at this point, how do you even keep your head on straight? That's, that's an interesting question. I haven't gotten that question before. I would, I would tell you, I, I just, I so focus on just my personal, my family and my teams, my customers, just literally happiness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, like, I, I don't know much about what ego might mean anymore because I'm just, I'm just happy. And I'll tell you something, Dave, this is a sad story for, for, for you because I went, <laughs> I was, I was I'm really fortunate. I was became, I became uh, entrepreneur. I was, uh, you know, received this entrepreneur of the year award here in uh, Ernst and Young for the uh, mountain States. And um, I attended an event in, in Palm, Springs, and uh, they had a like a behavioral psychologist come on and talk about the emotions uh, over time um, of groups of people just by age. And I'll, I'll skip it to, to make this short, but the, their age of 40 to 50 was like happy, blessed, thankful. And so here's what I'll tell you, and I feel those emotions, and I'm 43, Dave. Um, I, ha- I have my, my spirit animal is 25, but I think uh, you know, biologically, you could, I will tell you, I think it's 43. But, but I, I would tell you, I used to think I'm just so happy because I'm so fortunate. Like I'm so fortunate, whether it's company value, kids, success, all that. I feel so fortunate. And because of that, I'm so happy. And it turns out, Dave, it's actually just because I got old. <laughs> because people in their forties, uh, you know, by, by statistically, they're just happy, you know? And I'm like, this sucks. I got old and I'm happy, but I think I, maybe, maybe there's something in between, but, um, I, I just think focusing on happiness is really the, the core of life. And, you know, I, I don't know how you can have an ego, I guess, because I just don't care enough to, 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 to think that way. Well, that's great. I think it's a good note to wrap on. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Mario Chabarro, CEO and founder of Quantum Metric. Thanks, Mario. What a, what a fun conversation. Could have gone a long time, but, you know, we didn't book it. So. Uh, Dave, I loved it. It was enjoyable. I could go for five hours talking about this. Is I'm very passionate about the people side of what we do. Um, of course, the journey of the company and and uh, how we got to where we are, and the continuous challenge of just even telling your story about what you do in a concise way. Um, these are big problems uh, to solve when you're building a company. So I, I, it's my pleasure um, both talking about it and the journey and experience. Cool. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining me and Mario on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love, Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast and submitting a review. Thanks again to show sponsors, First Bank, Kinsley Meetings, Via Technologies, Digital Frontier Printing, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. That's the show. Live, work, love, Colorado. 